everybody. Thanks for joining me. Um, as I mentioned in my last podcast, when I was talking about um, South Dakota's um, um, governor setting, um, actually signing some executive orders talking about um, transgenders and women's sports, I mentioned to you that I was going to have a special guest on my podcast and I am here with her. See, this is my sister. Her name's Robin. And hi, Robin. How you doing? Hi, Bobby. Bob, how are you? <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, I really, I really do appreciate you um, you coming on and and uh, talking about Chloe and uh, about her transitioning and how that's you know how that's affected your family and the process that you went through. And uh, your thoughts on on your thoughts on uh, transgender and and, uh, and uh, you know individuals changing their identity and how that affects you and how it affects you know of course we we talked a little bit uh, earlier about uh, uh, transgenders and sports and stuff like that so um, I just want to say thanks for coming on I really appreciate it um, as I mentioned I. I kind of wanted to do this for a couple of reasons, my, for myself, uh, for myself as well, mostly to kind of get a little bit more idea of, you know, what you've gone through and to educate myself a little bit more. I've been reading a lot about, um, you know, with these laws that have been changing and women's sports, I've been reading a little bit more about it and trying to understand a little bit more. And I think if you, you know, my, my thinking is the more you understand, the more you can have more compassion, more, you know, understanding of what the situation is. Um, you know, my view is, and I, and I mentioned this before is that, uh, my, my place is to kind of like love and, uh, accept people for what they have chosen to be, not to, you know, not to be mean and not to be, um, judgmental at all. Um, everybody has their different views, their different faiths, their religious bring up, you know, how they've been brought up religiously um, and their, their ideas on it. And, and all that's fine, you know, but uh, our purpose and our, I think our goal and the need is to just accept people for who they are, no matter if, you know, they're transgender, if they're gay, lesbian, it doesn't matter. Um, really doesn't, it doesn't affect me, but per se, uh, but how it affects me is how I, how I should treat and how I should, um, respect people's decisions to do what they want to do. So, um, anytime you want to, um, you know, in, interject anything, just let me know. This is a conversation. That's all we're doing. Just having a talk. <laughs> Don't be nervous. <laughs> well, and uh, I, did, um, I will tell you that, that, People generally have very, very fixed opinions about it. Uh, either they are compassionate and understanding and respectful or they're, you know, judgmental and bigotry towards it. And I always have said, until you experience it personally, mm -hmm. you'd be surprised how quickly you change and how more understanding you get. Right. Uh, when you are dealing with your own child going through this. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I'm a faithful Tucker Carlson watcher every night, but the last few nights I have been so angry at him to write him letters. And well, because he had Asa Hutchinson on there, who's the governor of Arkansas. Yeah. And he just, their legislation presented him with a bill and it was about hormone replacement therapy you know, for minors, and he vetoed that bill. And uh, he said, I'm not giving away any opinions that I have about it. I'm just saying that, in my opinion, the government has no business getting in between a patient and a parent and a physician. Right. And that's what this bill would do, would prevent a doctor from treating a transgender minor. Mm -hmm. And Tucker just was just livid you know uh you're going to do chemical castration and all this and that and he was wrong it's not necessarily chemical you know and you know 
there's more suicides and there's more depression when they get on these hormone replacements or these puberty blockers, which isn't true. It's just the opposite. Right. And then he asked Hutchinson, has there been any major corporations that you've been in contact or communication with that that pushed you into this decision? And he said, no, I have not been in any communication with any major corporation or business. So the next night, Tucker comes on and he says, well, Governor Hutchinson just outright lied about that because my staff has found out that when he is no longer governor, he wants to be on the board of, of Walmart. Okay. And I thought, well, that doesn't mean they communicated. You know, that doesn't mean that <laughs> yeah, that's that, true. <laughs> that the Walton, you know, that they communicated about. And so I just was, and then it just, his, his, his bias was coming out and his, you know, and his prejudice was coming out. And it just made me so angry because I thought, do your research, buddy. You mm-hmm. know, just do some research before you start criticizing, you know. And I agree with Governor Hutchinson, you know. Yeah, it's a very serious thing, you know, when you start messing with puberty, hormones at puberty. Right. But it has to be between the parent and the child and the doctor. Right. And puberty is, you know, I mean, our daughter, who was 42 now, did not come out to us until she was in her early 20s. Really? Yeah. So I didn't, we didn't go through that. I wish we had known earlier. I wish... You know, but this was in the early nineties. You, you didn't have any. You didn't have any signs at all before that. Well, there were. I mean, Chloe being raised in a Mormon family. Mm-hmm. You know, she was. She tells me, and in fact, today we're driving in the car, and I still learn. I she still comes <laughs> out with stuff that you know she's still at forty two, revealing to me, right. and she says, "Mom." I didn't, in the early 90s, late 80s, I never heard the term transgender. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know what transgender was. I, I just knew that something was wrong. Right. You know, I didn't feel right. I could never get comfortable. I could never relax. And, you know, I said, well, Chloe, we never saw any signs. You know, that's person I feel. We just never saw any signs or we would have investigated it. But I said, the only thing that we saw was your behavior. Right. You know, you and just describe to me like what you like your behavior, what you saw uh, behavior wise, just defiance and anger and, you know, just never seemed to be able to relax or, you know, I mean, she saw her first psychiatrist, child psychiatrist when she was five mm-hmm. and he talked to us and then he had Matt at the time come in and then he excused Matt and had Bruce and I come back in and he said I I want to tell you something and he said before I after I got done interviewing Matt she laid this piece of paper on my desk and I opened it up and there was a couple of nickels and a couple of dimes right and she was five and she said you can keep this money doctor if you tell my parents that there's nothing wrong with me Matt did that to the doctor? Yeah, to the doctor. So she realized that something was not right, you know, but she said, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have the words to express it. And I was so so confused myself that how was I going to try to explain it to you when I couldn't even explain it to myself? And well, that would have put him, that that was in like Boise, right? That was in Boise. That was in Boise, right? Yeah, when she was in kindergarten, first grade. Mm -hmm. So then as she got older, you know, the behavior was just more truancy from school, more getting Mm -hmm. in trouble in school. And then as she got older, it was, of course, it was drugs, you know, self-medicating. And it was cutting, you know, Mm -hmm. anything to try to relieve the anguish and the turmoil, you know, that she was feeling. And she said, at first I thought, well, I'm gay. Maybe, you know, she understood gay. She understood that. But then she said, no, that doesn't fit. I'm not gay, you know. And she said, when you weren't home, I would try on Audrey's clothes, her sister's clothes. And she had longer hair back then. It was that time they were wearing longer hair. And she said, I put my hair up in a ponytail. And she goes, I, I got this feeling like, why do I feel better? You know, why do I feel better in my sister's clothes and with my hair up in a ponytail? Mm-hmm. But she still could not connect the dots. 
She just did not know the term transgender or anything right. about it, you know. So then when she got older and moved out, uh, I think she said she had some acquaintances and there were some transgender. Mm-hmm. And she kind of, well, that seems right. You know, or I can relate to you. You know, right. I, I can relate to that. To that is how I'm feeling. And then, of course, doing, then she started doing some research, you know, about I have these feelings, what is it, you know, and then she came to realize that she was transgender, but that was in, she probably knew before her early 20s, but in her early 20s, she moved out west and lived with her older sister, got heavily involved with drugs, Mm -hmm. uh, called us up one day and said, if I don't come home, I'm going to die. It was methamphetamines. And I said, well, our home is not a rehab. You can come home and we'll get you into rehab. Right. And she said, Mom, I've got to come home now or I'm not going to be alive in a month. So we brought her home. She got off the plane and it was just, she weighed like 90 pounds. She oh was my gosh, thin. really? Oh, she was so thin and so sickly looking. And we got her home and she said, do you mind if I try here, you know, to detox? And I said, we'll give it a try. And she did it. She did it. And to my knowledge, at 42, she's never touched a drug since. Okay. But it was once she got clean that she was clean that she was able to say, I need to talk to you about something. You need to talk to who? Talk to her dad and I. Okay. I need to talk to you. And that's when she came out and said that she was transgender. And so it explained a lot. You know, it explained the cutting and it explained the drug use and it explained the behavior. And, and I mean, we were like, oh my gosh, now what are we going to do? You know, yeah, I was going to ask, like, I mean, what was the, what were the emotions you guys, both you and Bruce had when he kind of like revealed that to you? Well, kind of like it explains a lot, but where do we go from here? Right. You know, I just, I didn't know anything. I, I was a psychiatric child and adolescent nurse at that time and I had seen it you know at the hospital Mm -hmm. uh but I just you know I just really you know didn't know the next step and Chloe's like I got it covered she had done so much research there's a a transgender clinic in Cleveland or in the Columbus Ohio this is her name this is who I need to see and she just, you know, and she was just dead set on reassignment surgery at that time. I need to do this, which scared us to death. You know, I, I mean, imagine. I yeah, therapy I can handle and, and hormone replacement therapy I can handle because it's reversible. But the reassignment surgery is final, you know. Right, right, right. And I was just, you know, being a mom, I was just all in. I'm like, let's do it. You know, and Bruce was like, hey, let's backpedal here. Let's, let's just slow down a little bit. But I wanted to get her out of pain. You know, I wanted to I wanted to help her. And I thought, boy, at 20-some years old, you would definitely know. You know, she's been struggling with this her whole life. She's figured it out. This is the direction she feels like she has to go. So were there, like, did you have, like, the idea of, like, having some, like, have, her, have him or her? At that point, so him, so have him uh, go through therapy, or was he? Oh, yeah. There's a the, and, during that time before you made the before oh, you made the final decision. There's a whole standard of care, you know, and for people to say that, you know, I think you're right about this woke culture. I do think there are parents who just push it, mm-hmm. you know, whose kid wants to wear her sister's tutu for a day. Or, I mean, my grandson wanted me to paint his toenails, and I did. I didn't think he was transgender. He just wanted pink toenails like his sister had, you know? That's right. They're just mimicking. That's all they're doing. Yeah, they're just mimicking. I think some parents just think, oh, my gosh, are they transgender? Because they like to wear their sister's tutu or play with their Barbie dolls, you know? So uh, I think some parents get too caught up in this. But there's a whole standard of care that these doctors have to follow. And it's, I think it's WPATH, P-A-T-H, which tells you what the standard of care is now. So it's a whole controlled environment. She had to see this therapist. She had to live as a woman for a year. She had to see a psychiatrist, and they ran it through all kind of mental and emotional tests to make sure that she, you know, was making a rational decision with a sound mind. Right. 
And so it was just a year or more of, of this, you know, mm. and then I remember the day that they gave her her first prescription for estrogen. She called it. We celebrated the E day and took her out to dinner and stuff because she got to start on her estrogen. Right. And to me, that was the telling sign that this is indeed who she is because she started feeling better. Right. Uh, the anger disappeared. You know, she started settling in into who she, who she was. And mm-hmm. But I just, this whole discussion about, is it too early to start at puberty? I wish we had known, Bobby, because I would have done it at puberty. Because mm-hmm. puberty is so devastating for transgender teens. Explain that. Why is that? Well, imagine yeah, if, you're, ideas, but... if you're a male and you feel female and all of a sudden you start growing facial hair mm-hmm. or you start deepening your voice and getting an Adam's apple, you know, and I mean, how traumatic that is. Or the other way around, if you're a female and, and, and feel male and you start right. growing breast and your hips get wider and heaven forbid you start your period. That is so emotionally devastating to them because it's just okay. their body just rejecting who they are. Mm-hmm. So, so there's, so much more emotional stability and um, less self-harm, you know, cutting and suicide and drug use. And there's just so much more positive about it because it is reversible. It is just a, and it, and it gives a parent and the child time, time to, you know, settle into it. And is it working? Does the child seem more comfortable? Is it, you know, is she less anxious or he less you know, because it can be reversed. Now there are, you know, testosterone blockers over a period of time can make you infertile, you know, so you have Mm -hmm. to watch that. But there are just, I just think it gives everybody time to to just figure it out, you know? And if the kid said, no, I don't like this, I don't really feel this way, then you can stop them and reverse them back, you know? What's the recommended, what's the recommended timeline that they, if they, so if they're experiencing these, these feelings and these questions about who they are uh, I, at puberty, like how much of a timeline are all I these say, tests and stuff taking place? I would say right before puberty starts or at puberty, I think if, if everybody's convinced, you know, that, that they are truly transgender, that I, I feel like it's, there's more positive than negatives to start them on hormone replacement therapy. Right. Because... I mean, it prevents surgeries down the line. If a, if a girl thinks she's a male, you know, and they do those blockers, then she doesn't grow breast, which is going to, you know, prevent her from having to have a double mastectomy down the road. Right. You know, the only thing about the other way, a man to a woman, you know, the testosterone blockers can, I don't want to get too graphic here, but can, <laughs> can shrink the scrotum and the penis, which that tissue is vital for the sexual reassignment. Surgery. Right. Right. You know, so, so, so there's some negatives there, but I, I still think that, that there's more positive than negatives, you know, right. but, but you just have to be very cautious and take it very slowly. slowly right. Don't rush into it and don't plant things in kids mind and don't jump on it right away. Oh, you must be transgender, you know, because you're right. A kid will experiment with so many things, you know, that don't turn out to be to be who they're going to be as an as right. an adult. So but that that was our experience. And, you know, so, Chloe, before, then, so before puberty, then you you would just, you know, as you know, like we talked about earlier, you have some of these, you know, parents who are and their kids playing with Barbie dolls or, you know, and a girl playing with a superhero or something like that. And they start freaking out, you know, like, it seems like it's more, um, um, directed. It's more uh, brought on by like what's going on socially, what's going on in the environment thing. Oh my gosh, my child's transgender. And, and the person and the little kids are only three and trying to figure out who they are. They don't even know right. who they are at that time. Right. I, I agree. I think, you know, to me, that's abuse. Mm-hmm. You know, they, and that's not keeping the best interest of the child in mind. It's keeping, I don't know, it's keeping, like you said, 
with this whole woke culture, which is mm-hmm. so dangerous in so many ways, right. you know, and a child will pick up on those feelings that a parent has, mm-hmm. you know, and they'll start questioning, am I, am I transgender when maybe they're not, you know, right. and then start assuming the behavior and, and stuff that a parent is. So I'm I read not, somewhere like what, 75% or if they're, if they are still having the feelings of puberty, you know, it's pretty good chances that it might not, that, that you have to go like the extra step, like we, you were talking with me and having them go through this, this, these therapy ideas, talk to uh, specialists and things like that. If it hasn't dissipated, if that, you know, dysphoria or whatever that they, they want to call it, I don't know when that kind of like sets in or when they actually identify it as a dysphoria versus a child trying to just figure out who they are. You know what right, I'm saying? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would think, you know, by, I would think if if they're going through puberty and it's so devastating to them mm-hmm. and so emotional, emotionally devastating that that's a pretty good indication, you know. Right. I mean, puberty's crazy for all of us. <laughs> crazy goes, yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, but but if you see your child's behavior changing to where they're harming themselves, right, or talking about suicide or getting severely depressed or socially isolating themselves. You know, there's a clear indication that something's going on and, and, you know, ask them, you know, do you feel comfortable in your own body or, or what do you see when you look in the mirror? Tell me what you see when you look in the mirror. Do you like it? Is it pleasing or does it disgust you? Right. Parents just are going to have to just come out of their own shell a little bit and, you know, but anyway. I I, I agree. I mean, I agree with you. It's like, it's, I can't even imagine, you know, I mean, I, you kind of like see your kids uh, making, going through like making bad choices, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, and just uh, and the normal stuff that like a teenager or young adult kind of go through and they make their mistakes and stuff like that. And I can see how that would be something that would be very, very hard and difficult to accept. And, and as a parent, you know, both parents, I have four kids, you've, you get your three and you want to love, you, you love your kids unconditionally. Right. Right. And you just want them to be happy. Um, did, you, did you? But like we were saying, you can tell them till you're blue in the face that you love them unconditionally and there's nothing they can say to you that would ever change that. Right. But you'll never convince a kid that that there might come a time that they might do something or say something that might make their parents not love them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I get you. I get you. I mean, like we were saying, we never told our parents everything that we went through, although I think our parents would have wanted us to come to them, you know, right. with problems and concerns, but they're just things that kids are not going to talk to their parents about. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, you know, and then, you know, she went through a year and I mean, Floyd was just so on top of it. She had, she, she could tell you more about transgenderism than, than anybody, but right. he wanted her surgery and, you know, we, she had researched, it was just astronomical here in the United States. You know, mm-hmm. so we went to Thailand for six weeks. And you went to Thailand? Thailand, yeah. She had it in Chambori, Thailand. And then you had to stay six weeks. And Bruce could stay four. So I was there two weeks with her by myself. Right. And, you know, it was at the Sephorn Clinic. And they were just so gracious. And the way that they interacted with those transgender patients were just I just said, I thought, I wish the whole world could see this. There was no judgment, you know, there was just total acceptance. You know, we want to help you in any way that we can. Right. And, but I remember sitting there, we stayed in a hotel and you got to know, cause you're all there for about six weeks and you pretty much got to know the other patients and the other families, you know, but there was the last week that we were there, there was this one family and this first time I had seen them and their son looked like male to female was probably about 18, 19, maybe 17. Right. And I looked at him and, and, and she and the father were just arguing, just bitterly arguing. And the mother was just sitting there bawling at the breakfast table. Right. And the teenage daughter had headphones on and was flipping through a magazine. And I thought that was us. That was us just a few years ago. I was always crying. Bruce and Chloe were always arguing. Poor Audrey. She had headphones on and was, you know, just trying to get away from it all. As we were trying to figure all this out. You know, how do we proceed? 
with this very serious life-altering. And then, in, like I said, Thailand, it was it was okay for me, except when it came time for surgery. And she didn't want us to go to the hospital with her. She wanted to do it on her own. Mm-hmm. But we, she did want us to come the day of surgery. And it was so different there because you got to walk down the hall <laughs> to the operating room, right to the operating room doors. Right. And I just couldn't let go of her hand, you know, because <laughs> I'm thinking, this is it. We can reverse the hormones. We can cut the hair. You know, right. we can buy a new wardrobe if she changes her mind. But we can't put that penis back on. Right. <laughs> so I just could not let go of that hand because I said, this is final. Mm-hmm. And if she wakes up and says, Mom, I've made a mistake, I would have been in an institution right now you know <laughs> I just could not have gone in that's understandable yeah you know so that was that was the tragic but she came through the surgery and was so happy and to this day I often thrown often but I say are you still happy and and she said yeah I'm glad I right. did so you know at 42 I think she's pretty much set on she made the right decision for herself right but anyway so it so the the weeks up, up to the surgery, mm-hmm. what were what was uh, what was the uh, I don't know, lack of better word curriculum or what were they what were they doing the six standard weeks prior of care. To the surgery like standard of care yeah, yeah you, they got her there I mean they had to have all the documentation they had mm-hmm. to have the therapy notes they had to have the letter from the psychiatrist saying that she was mentally stable to make this decision right they had to have someone verify she lived as a woman for a year and, you know, was on these hormones. And so there's, it's not just willy nilly and I'm sure it's even more organized now, but the standard right. of care just had to be followed every step. What of the year was this? What year was this? Well, see, dad died in 2004. So it was about 2005. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I don't know how dad would have I don't know. How, I mean, mom's been a trooper. I'm telling you, she's, yeah. been, she's been a trooper. She gets her pronouns mixed up and she calls mm. Chloe Mann. We all do. Yeah. <laughs> and she'll say, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And it's like, oh, it's okay. Yeah, I, know. I, you know? I don't want to say something wrong. <laughs> it's, it's tough, you know, and even I sometimes will say he, you know, and, and, but I just think dad would have really had a hard time with this, you know, and I just love mom because she's, you know, she worries about me and doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, wants to support me, you know. So she's just been like Audrey said, she's a badass grandma. <laughs> <laughs> so Audrey calls her when she went through her pacemaker. I said, Your your grandma's tough. And Audrey says, My grandma's a badass, is what my grandma <laughs> <laughs> she said, I know. I, th- I thought when mom went they went in to get her her pacemaker, I thought number one, that she would never want to do that, you know, because she's yeah. like I'm tired. I just want to, I just want to, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done. I just want to. And then when Mike told me that he wants, she wanted to get the pacemaker, I went, wow. <laughs> me too. Me too. Yeah, when, like, I mean, cause I, I know she was feeling really bad. You know, I don't think yeah, she was getting enough oxygen Her blood. Her heart rate was down in the thirties and she just was tired and sleeping and confused. And she just wanted to go. And then when the doctor came in and, you know, said, I, we need, we can't hold this off any longer. You've got to have a pacemaker. And he goes, what do you feel? And she goes, well, if it'd keep me alive, I'm all for it. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just like, whoa, last week you wanted to go and be with dad, you know? Right, right. (laughs) What's up, man? (laughs) But when it comes, when it comes to that time where do I stay or do I go, you're going to choose to stay if you can. Yeah, really. Yeah. I, you know, I have my faith out here, but yeah, I don't really know. Sure. Exactly. I'm not you know, quite what sure. What is on the other side? Nobody really kind of knows, you know. I need a little more time. Yeah, really. <laughs> so anyway, but she, you're right. She's just gotten so much better. Gone out to lunch with her friends and her confusion's better. And, you know, she seems just more upbeat. And so I'm right. happy for, you know. Yeah, I would have liked. I would have liked to think that Dad, uh, with the understanding of the church and everything, um, you know, I think the church. If you see the church today, is like the the shift is. I mean, you and I were growing up. It was like pretty uh, black and white. You know, yeah, yeah. This is this is wrong. This is right. Today, the shift has been 
to the individual and learning to uh, appreciate and love the individual that's going through whatever they're going through, whatever the, whatever they're, they're they're dealing with. And the emphasis is on loving that individual versus what they're, what you consider doing wrong, uh, you know, or whatever, what is, you know, commandments, what is gospel principles or whatever that it's most important to just to love and to show support and, uh, ex- acceptance. Well, not really acceptance yeah. in a way, but support and love. Much more inclusive, you know. Right. That's, of, yeah, that's a good word. Instead of expelling, inclusive. you know, or, right. or but they just want to keep you close. Right. You know, which is a good thing. Right. A very you good know? thing. Yeah. Because once you isolate someone, you know, who knows what direction they're going to go in. But if you can keep them close. Hmm you know, then, then you have some persuasion over their life to some degree, you know? So right, right. I, I was really, I'm really happy to see the direction the church is going Yeah. You know, in, in having yeah. more compassion and understanding, you know? Yeah. I, I've seen that personally. I've seen that like in, in the way that they approach just, you know, the, 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 the how they presented, how the church is presented today. Um, you know, when we were growing up is like, this is the only true church on the face of the earth, blah, blah, blah. Now it's more like, well, we're a fullness of the gospel. We can take what, um, what you have and what you've been taught all your life. And this will add on to it. You know, right. it's not so much that big, that big, this, right. is, this is the only way that you can go and everybody yeah, else we're right wrong. and you're wrong. Yeah. We're both right, but we just have a little more. Right, right, right. Just have a little more knowledge. Right, right. That we can impart. I really appreciate that a lot. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So after um, after the operation, how long uh, was she? uh, When did she come home after that point? And what Uh, was? I think it was four weeks after the operation. Four weeks. Yeah, she was there a couple weeks before. They, you know, ran some tests and. And there was one poor patient there who couldn't have her surgery because she had a blood clot in her leg. You know, mm-hmm. in the hormones, there is a risk, the estrogen, there is a risk of, of blood clots. So mm-hmm. she was on clot therapy and had to wait to have her surgery. Right. But yeah, it was four weeks. And then Bruce left after four weeks because he had to get back to work. And then when she was well enough to leave the hospital and come back to the hotel, then we took a little puddle jumper up to Chiang Mai, Thailand mm-hmm. and stayed there for a couple of days. And that, you know, that Chloe is just all in this middle Eastern religion and culture. And so that right. was wonderful for her to, you know, talk to monks and, you know, visit all these temples and stuff. And, and, right. and, and then we flew home, but yeah, I would never want to go back to Chambori, but <laughs> it's another way of life. Let me tell you, <laughs> it's a whole new world. <laughs> you know, and there's this, I come out and I didn't have short shorts on. I just had shorts to my knees or something. And this little Thailand guy just was yapping at me. I'm like, and he's just following me down the street, just really yapping at me. And I'm like, what is it? You know, and he's just pointing at me, and it's like, and he, my shorts, I was showing my legs, and he didn't, and he didn't like that, that I was right. American over there showing, showing my, my legs, I was like, <laughs> I'm just like, what do you want? I don't understand what you're saying. It's just, nah, nah, nah. I can just see you. Like, what the hell? Anyway, it was quite an experience, but anyway, now, you know, I, I would, you know, now it's done so routinely here in the States, you mm-hmm. know, and so, and, uh, you know, we were lucky that we could financially help her. Right. You know, there are so many transgender out there that don't have the finance, you know, to, to, to go as far as they want to go with their transition. Right. So I just feel blessed that we were able to help her in that regard. So how, how's it, how has it been, uh, since, you know, since, uh, she had the surgery. I mean, how has her life been? She's 42. I could, but when you said 42, I about freaked out. Yeah, I thought she was in her late thirties, but Debbie's uh, going to be 50. So I, what's that? Debbie, Debbie's going to be 50. So. That either. <laughs> um, you can imagine it's hard. Right. It, it's a hard, hard life, you know, especially in a culture that is so, I think we've become so narcissistic, so focused on, 
appearances, you know, mm. plastic surgeries and, you know, and, and so, you know, the whole passing thing, you know, is, is a big deal, you know, right. and Chloe struggles with that. So you, you just, you got to get to a point where you got to accept yourself for more than just your appearance. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to find your worth someplace else, you know, and is, is it volunteering? Is it getting involved with, with this, you know, because the world can be very cruel. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, just going to the grocery store sometimes. Right. You know, it's just, and I just think this girl has more courage in her than I, in her little finger than I have in my entire body. Right. You know, just to be who she is and, and go out and do and people staring and making comments. And I just thought, mm-hmm. you know, how, how do you, how do you do that? Right. You know? And, and she has the tendency to want to isolate herself, to want to protect herself, you know, can take it for so long. And then I got to take a break, you know? Right. Does she <laughs> felt like she ever has regretted it at all? Uh, does she feel like she wish she weren't? Yeah. Yeah. That Never she, regretted that's... it, but she wish she weren't dealing with this. She what? She wished she weren't dealing with being transgender. Oh, okay. Because it's hard. Yeah. She said, I don't wish this on anybody. You right. know, the whole evolving and then the whole life after. It's it's just it's just tough. Uh, but what, about, I, what about her taking care of herself and things like that? I mean, how I mean is she, I mean it's been how many years since she had the since the surgery? 2005. Okay. So it's what so, and, and you're and you know, she's getting older. She's 42 mm-hmm. and you know, like you're talking about sex and gender, you know, people conflate those terms all the time and get them, you know, terribly confused. And, mm-hmm. you know, sex is, to best describe sex, it's a set of biological and physiological attributes that are given to you at birth, humans mm-hmm. and animals, you know, mainly by your your anatomy, by your genitalia, and also right. your chromosomes. Do you have an XX? Do you have an XY? We have a penis versus a vagina. That's sex. But gender is, to me, it refers to um, socially constructed roles, behavior, how we express ourselves, our identities. Um, Yeah, I was going to say, is that gender or is that what in every article I read about is they kind of like always kind of like skip the gender side of it that you're male or female and start and really focus in on a gender identity versus just you're born a, uh, uh, a boy or a girl, but then. And that's your sex. But how that, you identify okay, is your gender. Okay. okay. So, and then gender can be fluid. You know, you can be on that spectrum. We didn't used to think so, but, but you can be on that spectrum, you know, of male, female, you know, boy, girl. But right. I think sex is biologically and physiologically what, how you're born. Unless, I mean, there are such things as intersex. You know, where you, we're females, you have a vagina, but you're born with an XY chromosome. Right. You know, so do those girls, do they play on a boy's team or do they play on a girl's team? Right. You know, they have testes, but they're up in the abdomen. So right. they're born with both genitalia and they definitely have an XY chromosome. So mm-hmm. talking about girls in sports, you know, do you, what team do you put them on? You know, and I just, this I have a whole thing. Again, I I think people come down on girls in sports, transgender girls in sports or not, you know, and and no, they shouldn't or yes, they should. And I was just like, well, it's not that black and white. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just how long have they been on on blockers? How long have they been on on hormone replacement therapy? I mean, the the Navy did this study uh, with enlistees you know, cisgender women, normal, I don't like to use the word normal, but normal women versus transgender and their enlistees. And so they, uh, as they were going through basic training, you know, they seem to be pretty equal in their strength and their ability, mm-hmm. you know, um, more so after they had been on hormone replacement therapy for two years. Mm-hmm. Now, the Olympics only require one year, but they still see that there's an advantage with transgender women 
if they've only been on hormones for a year. But if they've been on hormones for a couple of years, it seems to be pretty equal, except the Navy found out in the area of running Mm -hmm. that even after being on hormone replacement therapy for two years, they could still 12% faster in running the mile and a half. Right. And I attribute that to, I mean, even after hormone replacement therapy, transgender women still have 40% more muscle mass. And they 40%? still have 40%, they're finding right. out. And they still have larger lung capacity. They're mm-hmm. born with larger lungs. Right. So when you think about, yeah, they can probably are equal in push-ups and set-ups and pull-ups, chin-ups and all that. But when you think about running and how they still are 12% faster, mm-hmm. it's that muscle mass and that muscle length and that lung volume that probably still gives them an advantage, even though they've right. been on hormones. Right. And you're just, you're describing sports at that point. I'm just, really you know, are. basketball, just, football, wrestling, whatever, tennis, whatever. Yeah. But then, but then you think there are women, what do they say? Um, you know, Transgender women are not the only ones with high, higher than normal or testosterone levels because there's, and it's estimated that probably maybe 10% of women have polycystic ovarian syndrome, mm-hmm. almost 10% of the population. And that gives them a much higher testosterone level. Right. And they think that probably 30% of women in sports have got a higher than normal level of testosterone. That's why they do so well in sports. Right. So it gets really confusing, you know, do these women that have these, this polycystic ovarian disease and have higher testosterone levels, should we exclude them? You know, if they're running against women that, that don't have this disease. Right. So I don't know. It's just, and then there's. You said that, what was the percentage that women's sports that have that? About 10% of women in a period had this disease. Okay. And about 30% of women who participate in sports, you know, in the high school, college, even Olympics, have much higher testosterone levels than a normal, than right. the average woman. Okay. And I think that's why they do so well in sports, you know? Mm-hmm. But you think, I mean, the Olympics, like I said, only require that you be on one year of hormone replacement therapy. And I don't know, have there been any transgenders in the Olympics? I don't even know. But but even if, you know, like I said, when they're running and they 12% better on the mile and a half, Mm -hmm. transgender women who are, just think about that 12%. I mean, even a percentage or two in the Olympics is a difference between a gold and a bronze. Yeah, I know. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, that probably. Yeah, so even that little bit of an edge can make all the difference in the world. Right. You know, if if these transgender women do have do have an edge, you know. Right. So, I don't know, it's just I think we're going to have to be led by science, you know. Yeah. I I I don't think there's we're going to turn back. I think this is our future, but I think we're just going to have to be led by some really good, honest science research here. As right. to, yeah. So. Keep politics out of it. That's what I always say. Exactly. You know, <laughs> but, but, but you know, sport, sports is not a God given light. You know, I mean, I led volleyball in high school. I just absolutely loved it. Never made the team because I could walk under the net and still have five inches. Yeah, of when clearance. you're four one. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not four one. But still, I loved it, just... but my body did not cooperate. Right. You know, and so I I just didn't have the ability. So we're not we're not guaranteed anything just because we want it. I mean, poor Debbie, she wanted to be an airline stewardess, right. you know, and they came to Indianapolis and I got her in with United and got the interview and bought the little Navy blazer and the little red, white and blue scarf and had her hair done. And she <laughs> went through the interview and they just loved her. She was cute. Came to the physical. She came out in tears, and I thought, what in the world happened? And she said, I'm a quarter of an inch too short. A quarter too, of an, an inch too short too, to be an air. I mean, that's when they had, you know, quotas. I mean, right. you had to be a certain height. Wow. A quarter of an inch. She said we would have taken her in a heartbeat, but she's too short. Now they don't have that, you know. 
but her body didn't cooperate with what she wanted to do. So that's yeah. life, you know. It's <laughs> <laughs> just not a God-given right that you should do what that you want to do a, all the time. That you're going to be a stewardess, right? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that was that was hard on her, but. Yeah, that's when Sorry. Olivia, you know, Olivia was, uh, we had her all set up to go to, I think, Utah State. You know, she wanted to go into psychology. Yeah. And uh, we had her basically registered for Utah State. We had her housing all set up. And then she comes to me and she goes, you know, Dad, I think I want to be, I, wanna, I think I want to cut hair. <laughs> oh, wow. Psychology. Yeah, you're like, you know, because she's always wanted to do that. She's done it with all of her friends all through high school. Yeah. She's always been very good at makeup and things like that. And I really believe that, you know, and I supportive of her. I says, hey, listen, you got to do what's got to do what makes you happy. Right. You know, and listen, it's been a good, uh, it's been good for her. Yeah. Um, she supported her husband while he's going finishing school and she still does it now out of her home. Now that she was working for a really nice, up, uh, upscale, uh, beauty, you know, uh, spa and things well, like that yeah. doing really well had a great has a and still has a good clientele to come to her house to do it but i really think that was a good decision for her you well know? my beautician drives a bmw so <laughs> <laughs> i mean i'm pulling into this parking lot of this salon and i see bmws and i see mercedes and i see this and that and i was like these people are doing really well you know <laughs> but then when you pay 140 dollars to have your hair colored and you're only in that chair an hour and a half they're making dark they're making dark <laughs> good money, money. <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> uh, so most of that's going to the house but that's okay <laughs> yeah so anyway i just think with this transgender in sports i just i think we need to protect those transgender athletes against discrimination and harassment but we also need to protect the cisgender athlete mm. you know we just need to make it as fair as possible but keeping in mind that the playing field is never going to be totally fair and level right you know you've got those that have personal trainers and you've got athletes that have the highest quality of, of training equipment you know it's just never going to be an even playing field, you know, you just can't make it that way. But I just right. think we need to try to be as fair as possible to both. Right. You know, and I don't know. It, it's a tough, it's a tough thing. So, Very difficult uh, position to be in. And, uh, you know, it's a, any kind of thing your children are going through, and decisions that they're making or feelings that they're having is always hard to, I think, hard to understand sometimes when they kind of like go an opposite direction than what you've kind of like taught them. And you've, you, what, yeah, what you what feel you like you feel is right and what you feel is yeah. correct. And they're, you know, doing and that's, things on their own. that's where you find out. I'm telling you, that's where you find out if you love them unconditionally or you love them conditionally. Right. You know, and right. I've seen parents when I was a nurse just totally, you're out of the house. You're gone. They'll never want to see you again. They will never accept this. And I just would sit there at that, at those therapy meetings with the doctor and these patients and these parents. And I'm just, you know, tears are just running down my face saying, how can you do that? Right. You know, and, and we'd go to these group meetings and, you know, a parent was there and, and the they said they would never accept it and their son had committed suicide and they were just like, it's better for him. And I'm just like, I can't sit here. I can't do this. Right. You know, I, that is not unconditional love. Right. And I just, I just don't know. I mean, I held all of my children and whispered in their ear. I will never abandon you. Right. I will be there by your side until I'm gone or you're gone, you know? Right. And I meant that when I made them that promise that I would, be in their corner as much as I could for as, for as long as I could, you know? Right. Right. It's well, as, as a parent, that's what you, you have to do that. Yeah. You, do. you can't, um, I don't know, you can't, or you shouldn't uh, put those kind of limitations, those kind of conditions on your love for them. Right. You know, those, right. Like mom always says, she's 93 and, um, she always said, well, you always be my baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah you will. Her, you know, like, and you know what? She's right. I will always be her child. You know, it, um, 
I didn't know when I went through my divorce, yeah. um, I didn't, I chose not to tell her when I was in New Jersey, I knew that I was going to, I knew that I was uh, coming to Ohio and Todd was going to put me up for a few months. Yeah. So I get my head back on straight and I wanted to tell her in person. And I remember telling her and just the look on her face was like, it wasn't, it was more concern for me and me being happy. Yeah. And, um, she goes, I just, I just want you to be happy, you know, Bob, that's all I want you to be. And, and I'm sorry that's going through, but that's what she worries about. Parents will always worry until the day they die. Yeah. Uh, well, about their the children, old saying, how old they are. The old saying, a mother is only as happy as her unhappiest child. <laughs> that's you true. Know? That is yeah. so true. You can only be as happy as that, as that, as happy as that sad, sad child is, but yeah. Yeah, I still. I told, you know, I just told her. I said, "Listen, just mom, I'm happy. That don't worry about. It. I'll get over it. Uh, I'll get back I'll, there. I'll get happy." Yeah, like, what's that? I will eventually get back to being happy. Not right now, but I'll get there. <laughs> yeah, right now I'm not there. I'm not quite there right now, but I'll get there. Things will normalize again, yeah. and uh, you know, and uh, but I, you know, I, I tell her, "Don't worry about me." And I, you know, it's like it's going like in this hour oh, coming yeah. out the other side. You know, like of course she's going to worry because she worries about all of us. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it was about all of us, but yeah. I don't know. I still, I still see you standing in the back of the car, and you always wanted to stand behind mom. You know, you were mom's baby, right? And especially in the winter time, she wore that uh, that that fake fur coat, remember? Yeah. And you used to put your hands under her collar and just rub that her coat. Just rub. and you were just a little tight, you know. But you, just, yeah. you were mom's. But even as when you came home from your mission and you stayed with them, mom said you always came in and said, I'm home. Good night. You know, yeah. and even as an adult, he would still come in and say, well, I love you. Good night. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. All right. You're making me. You're no, making you were just always a very respectful, you know, of their feelings and their emotions, much more so than the rest than the rest of us, I think. <laughs> oh. uh, and I, I guess with being the baby, you see all the other stuff that happened. You know, yeah, you're this, going, you're subconsciously I, you're going, I don't want to put my parents through anymore. Exactly. Like crap. That's what Audrey says. Audrey says, I said, you were such a good kid. And I said, you know, you're a surprise baby, but I was so glad you had us because I had you because you're such a calming influence with all we were going through with Chloe. You know, I said, you were so calming. And she goes, Mom, I didn't think that I could put any more pressure on you. And, Dad. <laughs> and she said, it's not that I wanted to be that way, but I just could not make myself make you worry about anything right. else. You know, so and I think, oh, that's sad, you know, <laughs> that that she she couldn't let loose every once in a while, yeah. you know. <laughs> Well, but anyway, uh, but you know, it's uh, you know, life. Life is uh, tough, and it's uh, throws us throws us curves, you know. And you know, like we've been taught, you know, you know, we had everybody has their agency, and you can't change that. And um, everybody has the they make their own decisions, and all you, you want to control it. And sometimes you hate it that they're making bad choice. You feel like they're making bad choices. But you have to give people their agency, their their right to choose. You have to do it because if you didn't do that, then you know what do we have? We don't have anything really. We right. don't uh, we don't have anything to stand on. And that's to me, that's God's love. That was His. That was His. You know, giving us our agency right. uh, is His real sign of love that we can choose for ourselves to to do what we want to do. And then, but we're responsible for those decisions. Right. And you, you, you know, you, you worry about the choices that they make. And it's just, I think what I worried about most was, could they handle the consequences? Right. Right. You right. know, and are those consequences going to be so bad that it alters their life forever? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, the kid's in jail now for the next 30 years. You know, right. you just, you want them to choose wisely and be able to handle the consequences of court choices but not so severe consequences you know so you're always trying to protect them but you know i always say today's self needs to be kind to tomorrow's self you know what you do today affects you tomorrow so be nice to tomorrow's self by the choices you make today right you know yep and i I always say you know life is hard you know marriage is hard divorce is hard choose your heart 
you know, dieting is hard. Obesity is hard. Choose your hard. You know, life is just hard. You just have to choose which hard you want to do. (laughs) Just not make it harder than what it needs to be. (laughs) And I just, Uh, I try to go throughout my day saying, looking at people saying, we're all just walking each other home. You know, we're all just trying to get there and just be kind, just be also kind because you're just, we're just walking each other home. You know, yeah. trying mm-hmm. to help along the way the best we can. Well, but I, you know, I kind of like the philosophy I kind of had that, you know, I, I hate to see all this, this uh, negativity and oh, all of you, the, you know, that we're seeing in politics today and all this, you know, racism, what we're, everything, what we're calling racism, everything. what we're calling bigotry in today. Um, I, I just, I hate it because it's too. just like, why just can't you just, um, just look at people and just be a smile and be happy. You know, people are going to do stuff to piss you off. Right. Everybody does that, you know, and somebody's going to, you know, do something and you're going to get angry. I can, it's like a short term type of a, you know, angry and get, you get, you know, something like that. But people just, just, Today is just like just hating people it is. because they think differently or they have a different opinion of something or they don't go along with what your your what they think is correct. Then all of a sudden you're this terrible bad person and you shouldn't be you shouldn't be allowed to breathe anymore. Yeah, you just like, we're just, we're just going to cancel you. You know, right, you're, right. You're not even worth listening to, or you know, and and I and I just hate this division. And I mm. think our leaders are not serving us well. Right. You know, they, they should be nope. trying to bring us together. And it just seems like we're just being, and I don't understand it. You know, I just, why we're trying to pit one against the other. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I had to turn off the news. I told Bruce, I said, I can hardly breathe for some days. You know, it's mm-hmm. affecting me so deeply, you know, not for myself so much because we were not going to be here when things here really get bad. Right. But I worry about my grandkids, mm-hmm. you know, and just and, and we don't even, I mean, we think it's bad now. But dad just said you have no idea, you know. Right. And, but I just think, why are we trying to pit each other against each other? Why are we, you know, saying this side is good and this side is bad or this person is good and this person is bad? I just don't understand it. And I just think we are just. It seems like racism was so much better. You know, I'm not black. I really can't identify, you know, but it just seemed like it's gotten so much worse. Mm. And I don't, there's just so much frustration, Bob, and anger out there. And, Mm. you know, I can feel it when I'm at the grocery store and this pandemic hasn't helped. The mask hasn't helped, but it just seems like people just don't have any patience anymore, you know, for anything. Mm. And that just makes me so sad, you know, life's hard enough. (laughs) <laughs> it really is yeah it really is hey listen thanks for i really i do really appreciate um you coming on and and talking about you know chloe and and uh it helps me to kind of understand a little bit more about her and what she's gone through and you i really do appreciate it a lot and i hope that uh you know maybe it's been helpful to you as well to kind of like talk and I told Chloe, you know, it's hard. It's hard. But I said, I think of you as a pioneer, you know, mm-hmm. you're kind of making it for what you've sacrificed and what you've gone through. You, you've made it a little bit easier for those coming forward now. Right. You know, it was tough. It was just not even talked about, discussed, you know, as it is now. So just kind of think of yourself as a pioneer and they have pioneers have a tough, you know, yeah, really do. Yeah. But they do have they do have their place. So anyway, but yeah, any family dealing with it out there, you'll get you'll get through it. Yep. Well, I appreciate it. Thank uh-huh. you. You're I welcome. Really do appreciate it. But hope it's been fun for you. Okay. It's love you. I love you too. Hey everyone, thanks for listening uh, to my podcast. I really appreciate uh, Robin coming on and talking to to me about Chloe. I know it's it's a it can be a hard subject and. Um, but I really do appreciate her getting on. Listen, if you want to catch any of my other episodes, please go to my website, robscottpodcast.com. Also leave your comments uh, there or 
You can email me at rob at robscottpodcast.com. Love to hear from you and uh, any comments that you have about you know what you heard and any of my podcasts, I'd really appreciate it. Listen, be careful out there. It's a crazy world. Uh, be kind. Show love towards those who um, that it might not be so easy to show love to. And I will catch you on the next episode.